Happy New Year, everyone. I just got to say that I'm super grateful for all that has happened to EM Cases in 2019. And there's a heck of a lot to be thankful for and to celebrate, actually. 2019 has been arguably the most successful year in EM Cases now 10-year history with 1,907,362 podcast downloads, reaching a total download count of near than 10 million to date. Uh, There's also been more than 1.6 million webpage views just in 2019, the most ever. In 2019, we introduced the Quiz Vault with more than 3,000 subscribers since its launch just a few months ago. The Quiz Vault has kind of rounded out the EM Cases learning system. That's our multimodal resource package. That's podcasts, show notes, blogs, emails, videos, courses, simulation, ebooks, and now test enhanced learning with the Quiz Vault. And in 2019, we also launched the ECG Cases blog with Jesse McLaren, who guides you through challenging ECGs once a month and delivers golden nugget pearls. We also launched the EMU365 videos, the year-round highlights from Canada's biggest and best large-scale independent EM conference. 2019 also saw the growth of the Crit Cases blog, the Q&A Pearl of the Week, the Just for Nuggets emails, and the Waiting to be Seen blog, as well as the fifth sold-out EM Cases course with the introduction of a second day dedicated entirely to simulation. So what better way to celebrate the year than to announce the EM Cases Best of 2019 Top 10. So this is based on a blend of the number of podcast downloads, the number of web page views, the breadth of social media engagement, the number of positive emails and comments that I received, as well as my own faves. So I'm pleased to bring you the EM Cases Best of 2019 Top 10. Many huge thanks to the entire EM Cases team, my advisory board, the Schwartz-Reisman Emergency Medicine Institute, and the amazing guest experts, and of course you, the listeners of the podcasts, readers of the blogs, viewers of the videos, and participants in the courses, for making 2019 another fun-filled year for EM Cases. All right, so here they are, EM Cases Best of 2019 Top 10. Number 10, ECG cases number three, can you find the subtle and fear MI with Jesse McLaren? Number nine, EM quick hit seven, approach to status epilepticus, codeine interactions, anticoagulants and cancer, atrial fibrillation rate versus rhythm control, peripheral vasopressors and motivational interviewing with Anand Swami Nathan, Jason Yurlink, Britt Long, Ian Steele, Justin Morgenstern, and Michelle Clayman. Number eight, Waiting to be seen, numbers 17 slash 18. That was the zero tolerance policies in ED parts one and two with Howard and Sarah Ovens. Number seven, Journal Jam 15, stress testing after negative ED workup for MI with Justin Morgenstern and Rory Spiegel. Number six, episode 128, Low-Risk Chest Pain and High-Sensitivity Troponin with Andrew McRae and Eddie Lang. Number five, episode 124, Burn and Inhalation Injuries with Maria Ivankovic and Joel Fish. Number four, EM Quick Hit 6, 
blunt cardiac trauma, atrial fibrillation, anticoagulation, hydromorphone versus morphine, myasthenia gravis, and venous access with Andrew Petrosoniak, Claire Atsima, Maria Ivankovic, Britt Long, and Anand Swami Nathan. Number three, episode number 29, ED overcrowding and access block with Grant Ennis, Howard Ovens, and Sam Campbell. Number two, Episodes 126-127, Drugs That Work and Drugs That Don't, Parts 1 and 2, with Justin Morgenstern and Joel Lexgen. And finally, drumroll please. Number one, Barbara Tatum on Compassionate Care from the EM Cases course in June 2019. All right. Now on to our special bonus podcast. I thought it being the holiday season and all, rather than deliver a deep dive that requires a serious amount of concentration and active engagement for learning on your part, I'd give you something that you can just sit back and listen to and reflect on a bit. So here we go. We've got a very special guest, a man who I've never met in person, which I'm really hoping will change very soon but who's been living sort of a parallel life to me in a way as a community emergency physician and medical education podcaster. You've probably guessed it already, the extraordinarily talented educator and podcaster, Dr. Rob Orman. Dr. Orman, what are you going to hit us with for your EM Cases debut? Anton, so fantastic to be on EM Cases. Thanks for having me, A. And B, we are going to talk about pre-gaming, about what we do before we go to work. So Rob, I wasn't sure whether you were saying A as in A-B or <laughs> A as in E-H. I was about to be very impressed with your adaptability to being a Canadian podcaster <laughs> for a minute there. Yeah, you know, I actually, it's I'd kind of a wannabe Canadian anyway. <laughs> All right. So let's get into this pre-game thing. So we do spend a lot of our time in the emergency departments dealing with stuff that really isn't directly related to patient care. We've got all these EMR requirements. We're getting phone calls every two minutes. We've got administrative issues, et cetera. And then we end up kind of in this sort of daily grind that we're all so familiar with. And while we advocate for change, the system isn't going to drastically change to make the grind suddenly disappear on our next ED shift. But changing our mental framework or mindset is relatively easy. And we'll kind of show you how that happens. So, Rob, how can changing our mindset really help with getting kind of rid of this feeling of just grinding through your emergency shift every every day? Well, I think before we get into that, you said a lot of things there that are worthy of unpacking is that the the system of medicine is really deeply entrenched. And before you go into a shift, that system is not going to adjust to what you need, right? It's just, it's not going to adjust to what you need right now. And I, that was from Jason Brooks said that to me one time. I was like, wow, it's a slap in the face, such a good slap in the face. I mean, man, thank you for that. That the system's not going to adjust to what you need right now, that you cannot immediately change how all of this process works, right? That's a longer term thing. So the easiest thing to do right now is to shift your mindset. 
And you can think, wow, man, well, that's that's easy to say. There's all this other stuff that sucks. Well, yes, maybe it does, but some of that stuff is outside of your sphere of control. So we're talking about what is what is inside of our sphere of control. I, and this doesn't exactly answer the question, but I want to I want to talk a little bit about how I get how I got to thinking about this because it was it was super personal. I'm I, kind of an existential crisis as to what led to even pursuing this project. And it was you know this was a project that went over several years, kind of figuring out how a lot of other doctors do it, how how can I do it, is that I was really feeling, I, I'm going to say resentful about all of the BS and all of the stress and all of the nonsense and all of the process of medicine, really resentful. And I can remember getting ready for work one day, like just super charged and super like just sympathetic lizard brain, like I'm going to uh, like a caveman, like, whoa, that is horrible. That was a horrible way to begin the day with like resentment for what you're about to do. I mean, that, that's, that, I, I wasn't going to last another day at work if that was how I felt. And, and that's just, and nobody wants to feel that way. You're not going to operate at peak performance. You're not going to have any joy in what you do. So I thought, wait a second, what, what do I, what do I need to do here? Because I, I can change the way I'm thinking about this. I'm not. I can't change that all these patients are going to come in. I can't change that I'm going to have four thousand mouse clicks in my next shift. If you believe that article, which I do, the four was that what's it called? Wasn't it called like four thousand mouse clicks or something like that? Do you remember that one? Yeah, Keep, that's probably an underestimation. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> that the, feels and, like it at least right. And that and that the majority of our time is spent on the EMR. And it's like, wow, what a stressor. But I'm going to tell you, Anton, I was super stressed about emergency medicine, even before the EMR. Just gonna, When I was dictating, when I was writing paper charts, I was still stressed about it. And it kind of led up, it culminated like over a decade later to feeling, man, I, I'm resentful that I have to go in and do this because I'm so stressed about it. So I figured that the, the only thing that I could do was shift that resentment to its opposite and change that to gratitude. How do I shift feeling resentful about something I'm about to go do to going to do the same thing and feeling grateful about it, right? I mean, it's like, <laughs> how, on, how on earth can you possibly make that happen? And so I just thought about it for a while, like, well, what are the things that I'm grateful for about my job? And this isn't about stuff in work. And I'm, I'm grateful for a lot of things. I'm grateful for my family, for my health, for a lot of stuff, but specifically about work. So I thought about three things. I thought about that I'm grateful for my teachers. I'm grateful for my skills. I'm grateful that I get to care for other people and really thought deeply about that. And before I was even able to get that part, get to that part, as I was going through this process of figuring out how I needed to prepare for my day at work, rather than just feeling resentful, I did some breathing exercises just to get a little more parasympathetic away from my sympathetic state. So I would, you know, people talk about box breathing and triangle breathing. It was essentially like that, but I would breathe in for four, 
hold for seven, breathe out for eight, breathe in for count of four, hold for seven, and then out for eight. And doing that in a couple cycles so that I could just start thinking about stuff. So that whole thing became my ritual before going to work, which was to do these four sets of breathing cycles to get into a parasympathetic state and then think about the stuff that I was grateful for. I'll tell you, Anton, it was, it was such a paradigm shift. I went into work that day and it was, it was like a whole new job. I felt amazing. Like those you know, first patients I saw, I was, I was feeling good. And I think even more importantly, I was mentally sharp. I was in the emergency medicine mindset. And I thought, wait, this can't just be me. This can't just be me who has been going to work thinking like, okay, I get up, I go to work and I don't even think about it. And I just kind of jump into it. It takes me a little while to kind of get my brain going. And so I started looking around and asking different people how they, how they do this. And, peop- and not everybody does it, but people who do do it, do it really specifically and really deliberately. And then looking on the broader stage, it's amazing how we, as these really, really high-level performers, are outliers in the world of high-level performance. You think about actors, think about athletes, think about fighter pilots, you think about pretty much anybody who is a high-level performer, they all go through a routine or a ritual or a process to get into the mindset either or the physical state that they need to operate at that peak level to get the most out of that day and to, you know, kind of enjoy it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the last 10, 15 years, there's been a ton of stuff coming out in emergency medicine about team dynamics and preparation and learning what we can from the airline industry. And it's sort of shocking to me that we don't routinely use mental preparation before every shift, just like every basketball player or actor does before showtime. So this is stuff that I think we really all should be doing. And the beauty of it is it actually really isn't that hard. You just kind of do what works for you. So Rob, you had mentioned a few things in there in terms of what we can do. So you mentioned gratitude, reminding yourself of what you're uh, thankful for about your job. And and you briefly talked about some meditation there. I want to kind of break it down into what you can do before your commute, during your commute, just before your shift starts, and then like as your shift starts. And these are kind of things that, you know, you take her to leave it, but people can try the different ones, see what works for them. So let's start with the before your commute. What are, what are some of the do's in terms of what you've discovered from speaking to other people in terms of uh, how you can prepare? They don't actually all have to happen at these particular times, right? Like what you do before you commute, it can happen at the hospital or some of them actually can't happen during the commute, but uh, it's just, you <laughs> like, know. <laughs> like sleeping, for example. <laughs> or burpees. Um, so <laughs> I, I you, sometimes do burpees on the subway. People look at me a little funny. Oh man. You know what? <laughs> a, if, a, if you did that, you're a hero. And B, if you could film that and we could put it on YouTube, uh, <laughs> it would, uh, that would be legendary. That would be the highest of fives, Anton. 
<laughs> the highest of fives. Now, what we're, t- we're going into, what do you do before before you leave? Yeah. So, I mean, okay. there's some things like, you know, being well-rested, you know, making sure you have enough sleep, maybe taking a nap, a cold shower, exercising. There's all these things. So, what, what are some of the things that you, you took out of uh, interviewing all of the different emergency physicians that you did in terms of what they can do before they actually get into their car or or however they're getting to work? Yeah. A lot of folks said, okay, make sure you get enough sleep. And okay, like <laughs> that can be such a challenge with shift work, you know, and, and, you know, your sleep cycle is disrupted. So I think you do the best you can. Um, one thing that seemed to be pretty common was short, high intensity exercise, short, high intensity exercise to, you know, like five, 10 minutes nothing really long, nothing that's going to wear you out, but just to really get the blood pumping. And some of the the reasons proposed for that, one is that it kind of makes you feel good, right? You just kind of, you do some push-ups, some sit-ups, some jumping jacks, some burpees, some kettlebells, and you just get really intense that it makes you feel good and you're just ready, but also that it can help your thinking, that it can help you focus on what's important. This was a cognitive inhibition or something that you are able to separate or more easily separate signal to noise. So, and that's such an important part of what we do is separating that signal to noise. So it was that super high intensity exercise. And another thing that a lot of docs did, and this was not necessarily immediately before, sometimes it was right before, is that they would read something and learn about it. And this will actually come up in the commute as well and feel like they had some mastery so that when they went into the shift, they kind of had that in their back pocket of, you know, being in a little bit more of that EM mindset or just thinking a little bit more medically that they had been reading it and just sort of like shifting their brain waves into, okay, I'm going into the zone. I'm thinking about this thing and now I'm kind of ready to see it. I'm more in my doctor mode than am I just walking around mode. Yeah, I find some of those things really useful. So I'll either go on sort of like a half hour run, or if I don't have time for that, I'll do like the five minute kind of high intensity thing. Sometimes what I find really kind of wakes you up and gets you going uh, is a cold shower. And apparently there's some kind of physiology behind that where you're clamping down your periphery and the blood's going to your vital organs and your brain's one of those organs and that kind of gets you mentally sharp having a cold shower. Sometimes I'll precede that by a 10-minute power nap if I'm tired. Oh, that, wait, do you, that do you have that skill? Can you do that? Can you just oh, fall yeah. asleep? Yeah. Oh. So for, I mean, for those folks out there who can power nap, the ideal routine is if I'm tired is a power nap followed by a cold shower followed by like a half hour run. And then I get my ritual coffee at the beginning of the shift and then I'm like unstoppable. I mean, that, unfortunately, that only happens like one in 10 shifts, but when it does happen, it makes all the difference for sure. So that makes me think of a couple of things that also came up in people's pre-commute ritual. And one was getting off of email and social media and any of that digital distraction, right? Kind of helping your mind shift. And so much of this is getting the mind shift. And, you know, you're doing those things to just kind of physically get into a heightened state of, of, of readiness. But, you know, when you're focused on social media and email and thinking about all that stuff, what are you not thinking about? <laughs> not thinking about 
your patience, not thinking yeah, about can, what you're going to do. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I mean, for me, especially if I start going through my emails and then there's always going to be one or two or three important emails that I feel like I need to get back to them. And then I'm like madly emailing just before my shift starts. And then I'm like, totally, it totally puts me off. Cause then sometimes I, I have enough emails that I can't get back to them. And then I get stressed out about it. And here I am about to go into a shift and I'm stressed out about this email that I haven't returned. Uh, so yeah, I try and make it a rule just to not touch my phone for like a good hour before my shift starts. And to that point, I mean, this is a little bit beyond the, this conversation. Is checking that stuff during your shift, unless there's an emergency, is a net negative, in my opinion. I mean, it totally distracts you from your flow and from what you're doing. And it's really not essential information. And you say, well, what about on my break? I want to check Facebook or I want to you know, get on my email. You can definitely do that but it's still not an effective break or a cognitive rest. We did a whole episode on how to take a break and you know when you engage with that electronic media during your breaks uh it does not help you it does not help refresh your brain. So I think if you are going to consider stopping doing that before your shift, think about stopping it during your shift. And granted I I'm sure or stopping you, you, it altogether. <laughs> well, yes, the digital minimalism angle. And yes, it is, it's a net negative in life. I mean, what is, yeah. the, what is, what is the overall positive you get from that? Uh, but I mean, I've, I've worked with docs who are on Facebook their entire shift. They've got one screen open to their EMR. They, I don't know if you guys have, have two screens or sometimes three, but if I have one screen open to EMR, one screen open to Facebook and they get wow. down. And the first thing they do when they sit down is like, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig on the, on the Facebook. I was like, Whoa, man, like you just saw a septic patient. <laughs> and, <you're, laughs> and I mean, you got a lot of stuff to remember and do and think. And plus I know you've got a trauma coming in too. And, uh, yes. So, and that, that was actually Salim Rezaei who said that. I mean, you know, we know Salim, he's got Rebel EM, he does all this stuff. He's on social media, he's on email. I mean, if, if there is anyone in the world who actually has a valid reason to be on all of those platforms during their shift, it would be that guy. And his totally. whole part of his pregame is like, I am off of that. I'm off of that before my shift. I'm off of that during my shift because, hey, what am I, what am I A, getting paid for? And B, what? how much cognitive energy do I actually have? You know, you only have so many matches to burn. Am I going to spend that on Facebook, answering emails and texting? I don't know if that's the best idea. Yeah. I, you know, I've, what I've started to try and do more and more on my breaks is to go back to the meditation thing. Just, you know, have a little snack and then meditate for three, four minutes. And even just three, four minutes, that can help recharge me and refocus Totally. And meditation is also something that the majority of people that I surveyed or interviewed on this did. Now, I'm not saying that everybody meditates, but for those who have kind of taken an interest in how to prepare for their shift, meditation, and it was generally of a mindfulness meditation or a noting meditation or, you know, breathing, being aware of your thoughts, being aware that you're doing that, and then coming back to breath, just trying to calm the mind or at least be aware of what is going on in the mind. And, you know, 
it's more of a daily practice, but many docs said, you know, before I go into a shift, I meditate for five, 10 minutes, some much longer. It doesn't have to be long. It's just, I, I've heard it uh, referred to as just like a little squeegee, little squeegee of the brain. And <laughs> um, as we'll get to, there are some who, who meditate right when they get to the hospital, but um, a little meditation during a shift, fantastic meditation before you leave was another pregame. And I, I, I started doing that, mm, I don't know, seven years ago or so before shifts and found that it made a, a big difference in my scattered state when I would arrive at a shift. If I could meditate for 10 minutes before I left my house, when I got to the shift, I felt very much more focused and able to kind of embrace the shock, you know, that the the first, <laughs> this is not a great analogy, but like the first shot you take when you get there is sort, is sort of like a, like buckshot, you know, it's like this scattered, like everything coming on at, at once. And you've just got a, or like a, like, it's like a big wave that tries to drown you because there's so much that you have to do. You know, you've got a bunch of patients to see, you've got sign out, there's things coming in. It's just, it's a lot. You don't have the rhythm of the department down. You don't have your rhythm down. And coming in with a settled mind, I think there's a reason that it was such a common practice with meditation allows you to absorb that and get into the flow of your shift more easily. Yeah. For the meditation part, it takes a bit of practice, but if you do it every morning that you wake up, uh, if you just do it for 10 minutes, you get good at it after a couple of months if you just give 10 minutes to it. And then the nice thing is that Anytime you need to pull it out for just a couple of minutes, you can go back. You can very quickly go back into that sort of med meditational state once you get pretty good at it. And throughout the day, whenever you need to do that, when you're taking a break or just before your shift or whenever it is, it's kind of easy just to kind of drop back into the meditational state for a couple of minutes. It kind of resets the controls and, and you're ready to go. So that's a, that's a little bit about the stuff before the commute. So being well-rested, um, maybe a power nap if you need it, cold shower, exercise, long or short, and avoiding your phone when you can. Then most of us commute to work either by driving, some by public transport. The lucky few can bike or walk or run to work. Uh, and that kind of takes care of the exercise part of it. <laughs> But for most of the people out there, they're driving. So what do you suggest in terms of the commute for prepping for your shift? So none of these things are like, okay, here's how you do it. These are just examples of, and then you've got to figure out what's the set point that you want when you get there, when you start your shift. But to your, to your question, there's a lot of docs who bike to work. And just that process in and of itself, even more so than the exercise is mind clearing or walk to work. And then during their walk to work, they go through some kind of a, of a mental process where they review what they're going to do during the day or what might come at them during the day. And invariably, when I ask people about this, you know, you see people running and walking and biking with headphones in, they all do it in silence. There's no information coming at them when they are doing some sort of movement as they get to work. So, uh, and that, and that was so that they could think they felt like when they were listening to something that they couldn't think as clearly as they could with the silence. But as far as driving into work, 
something that's really common, and obviously it's going to resonate with people who are listening to this, is people listen to a medical podcast or some kind of medical education to get into the emergency medicine mindset or to get into the medical mindset and think, well, like, what's it really doing? What is this podcast stimulating? Like, did I wake up this morning and I had forgotten all of medicine or I didn't actually even know about the thing that I'm about to listen to? Well, maybe that might be the case. You might be learning something new, but it's just stimulating you to think medically because in the rest of your life, you know, you are doing whatever you're, you know, making beer or reading books or climbing mountains or hanging out with your family. You are not thinking medically. And so by listening to a medical podcast, I think that it primes the pump. At least that's what it sounds like. And I was like talking to the different docs on this. It primes the pump so that when they start their shift, that's already the way their brain's working. And it's not such a shock to the system. Yeah. The, the two of us have no bias whatsoever. <laughs> <in that one. laughs> you know, it's, it's funny when I, when I've given this as a lecture talking about pre-gaming and I get to the part about listening to medical podcasts, it's like, oh, that sounds so self-serving. So I always followed up with medical podcasts or some sort of audio medical education. They listen yeah. to because it's like, wait, you know, you got to sign all these conflict of interest things and that's not a clear one, but it's like, that's about as close as it can get. Right. All right. So we've talked a little bit about meditation. We've talked a little bit about listening to medical, medical podcasts on your way to work, uh, keeping off your phone. What about just before your shift starts? So this is a really critical time because if you're really distracted and you're rushing and you're late for work, you're just starting off on the wrong foot. So how do you, uh, how do you suggest we prepare just before the shift starts. So you've got five minutes until it's game time. It, it, what was interesting about this was that a common theme that kept coming up was rituals, where people had these rituals right before they would start. And the, and the rituals really varied. Like some rituals were, I've got to have my cup of coffee. I've got to, you know, and you think, oh, that's so silly. Everyone has a cup of coffee. Well, think about when you don't have that coffee or what that coffee triggers, you know, well, it's caffeine, so it's going to stimulate you, but it's just part of that process. And these rituals, we'll talk about a few of them in a moment. There's a lot of reasons for rituals, but one of them is it kind of gives you a sense of control for what's about to happen. You know, we work in this inherently chaotic, uncontrollable situation where we have no idea what's coming in. You know, once things come in, we can kind of control it or whatever. We have no control over the volume of patients that come in, the timing of patients that come in, the disease that comes in. So the ritual gives a sense of, I am in control of what's about to happen, either consciously or unconsciously. And a great example that doc named Josh Russell gave of Michael Jordan, that he had this ritual of putting on his old North Carolina shorts on under, underneath his Chicago Bulls shorts or, or whatever team he was playing for. And it wasn't like Michael Jordan couldn't afford new exercise shorts, right? I mean, of course he could, but that was his ritual. Like, okay, I'm fully in control now. I'm about to go play. I got this. So 
certain rituals that people have. One really common ritual, probably the most common, was that right before people would go into the hospital, they would visualize an uncommon yet critical procedure. And I was surprised at how common this was, that that was how they prepared as they were going in. It was sometimes people would sit in their car and do it. Sometimes people would do it as they were walking in. Sometimes they would even do it as they were kind of going around the recess bay, checking things, which is another ritual, but visualizing a crike, visualizing a thoracotomy, visualizing a chest tube in, re- in as high fidelity as possible so that they feeling in control of the potential chaos or the potential whatever that's going to come in. And, and also, you know, just being on the ready, because sometimes that does come in. And when you've mentally rehearsed it, then you are much more prepared to, to receive that. Another ritual that people have or a practice was getting to work early. And for so many different reasons, some, of, some people like socialize, some people get to work early and kind of start working early in a really stealthy way. You know, it's just, it made me think that they were playing with house money. You know, they, it's like, hey, there's, it's totally low stakes. There's no pressure on me. I can just do what I want and everything that I do here because I'm not being assigned any new patients. I'm just picking up people that are already here. It is going to set me up for success in the rest of my shift. I'm not going to take sign out. I'm not even going to talk to anybody. And then other people, they go in, they kind of work the crowd, they shake hands, they're telling jokes. And then, you were talking about teams before, about airlines before, that creates what I, I think small unit cohesion. That creates the team feeling like, hey, the doc's here or whoever's here, we're all in this together, we're all a team and we all have this positive feeling. So th- those are a few examples of the rituals of creating either the positive environment or a sense of control over what's about to happen. All right. So there's some great stuff in there. Like there's some simple, but so brilliant things that you just mentioned. So first is the mental rehearsal. You mentioned in there that I've got this. I find that just the second before you start the I've got this really helps that self-talk. You had mentioned before what you're grateful for as a doctor, purpose of your work, the privilege of being a doctor, you know, ritualizing that as well can really help. So depending on on your situation and what works for you, there's a whole bunch of things to choose from there in terms of ritual just before the shift starts. So to wrap it all up, what we're basically talking about is doing what works for you. And from a few of the examples that we've given, plus, you know, we encourage you to go out and ask your colleagues what they do. But if you want sort of a prescription for a preparation strategy, Really, you can break it down into four parts like we have in the podcast. Before your commute, make sure you're well-rested, well-fed, do some sort of exercise that works for you if you can. Then during your commute, listen to a medical podcast. Uh, You might want to listen to an inspirational song just before you get out of the car. There's the deep breathing and or meditation that can really get your mindset ready just before your shift starts you can again that deep breathing and find a ritual that works for you whether it's you know getting that favorite drink or reminding yourself of the three reasons why you're an emergency doctor and what you're grateful for and then 
as your shift starts, you know, just giving yourself a bit of self-talk that you got this, get your team pumped up with a positive statement that you're ready to go. Rob, any uh, final words of wisdom in terms of how we can mentally prepare for our shifts? It's got to work for you that the system's not going to adjust to what you need right now. Just like for an athlete, the game is not going to change 10 minutes before it starts. You've got to create that mental set point. And it sounds totally self-helpy. Maybe it is. I mean, it is sort of self-helpy, but it's like that's, that's the reality of our job. And stuff like this, where it's like, okay, well, I want to cultivate a mindset or a physiologic state that gives me a higher chance of having an excellent experience in my shift. That is not part of the culture of medicine. Fucking A. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, wait a second. Can we swear on this podcast? <laughs> I'll, I'll have a good beep going in there. <laughs> All right, Rob, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for sharing your uh, insights into the, the pregame. Best of luck, everyone, with your pregame uh, prep. And uh, do let us know how it goes. All right. Great to talk to you, Anton. Thank you.